The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. No pressure on you, Matt, but a texter here says, I'm going to work late so I can listen to the Matt Hasselbeck Show uninterrupted. I might get fired, but I don't care. I, I think we're safe. I bet, I bet that person's boss is probably listening too, so not a big deal. It's taken the city by storm. <laughs> Episode two of the Matt Hasselbeck show, uh, and people are already getting fired over it. So there you go. How are we doing uh, today? A, hey, we're doing great. How are you? We're good. It's uh, it's kind of a different week here. Obviously, last week was everything was sunshine and roses, and you know, Hall of Famers galore, and Shane Waldron's a genius, and the Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl, and you know, the difference between week one and week two when you lose, and and especially the way they let it get get away from them late. Now, all of a sudden, it's can Pete and Russ get along? And, you know, is there a problem still lurking between the two of them? And what happened at the end of the game? And, you know, what what did you see from the Seahawks this week? Yeah, well, welcome to the NFL. That's what it is. You know, you're on top of the mountain one week and you're in the gutter the next week. Uh, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. And you can't get too high after you win a huge game. And you can't get too low when you when you give one away. And they did. They gave one away. They get the huge opportunity to get a win at home, uh, you know, up 14 or 15, you know, at halftime. Uh, disappointing loss. I'm sure at some point uh, at the end of the year, Seahawks fans will look back and say, man, we gave that one away. That would have really helped us in the NFC West standings. But I can just tell you from being in locker rooms and in that locker room, it's uh, you press the clear button, you move on. You have, you know, you let the rest of the world do overreaction Monday. You go in to film and you do the tell the truth Monday. You get stuff fixed and you move on and you try to go one and no next week. Like they always say, what's the biggest game? The next one. Right. And, okay? and that one in the past is gone. And and Pete did some of that. I mean, he, he definitely told the truth on Monday in a way that we don't always hear. I mean, he was asked about Russ on, on this show. And, you know, Pete can easily say, yeah, Russ did a great job. We didn't do enough for him in the game. I mean, that's easy for him to say. And instead, he chose to say that he needed more from Russ, that those last couple of drives. And they had two chances with uh, one with about six minutes left and then once in overtime where all he needs is a field goal to win the game. You know, how much of that falls on the quarterback? Yeah, well, Russell was exceptional, uh, like he normally is for most of the game. And, you know, I think the job of a coach is to try to push you and take you somewhere that uh, you never, you know, really, you don't even know how, how much you can improve or how, how much better you can be. And I, and I think probably what Pete Carroll is referring to is that last drive in overtime when the ball's on the 13-yard line, and you just got to know the fullness of the situation. It's not a two-minute drill. It's not take a shot, take a shot. It's, it's uh, you know, kind of protect the team. You know, that's one of Pete's rules, protect the team. And, you know, as a quarterback, sometimes there's certain areas on the field where you just know that you know that you know no matter what happens. Uh, obviously, you're trying to get first downs. You're trying to go score. But you know one of the things that you cannot do is you can't put your punt team in a situation where they got to go tight punt. You know, from the snapper to the punter is 15 yards, roughly. Um, so if you got to snap a punt inside of, say, the five-yard line, that you've really just kind of screwed your special teams, which in turn now has screwed the, the defense in terms of the field position that they're looking at. So we're working backwards. Tennessee won that game on a game-winning field goal, but they started with the ball on their on the 30-something. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that that's a that's a very very tough spot for the defense and the special teams to be put into. And again, I thought Russell Wilson played ex- extraordinarily well. But if if it's tell the truth Monday and Pete Carroll's coming in and say, "Hey, Russ, here's how you could protect the team more," or "Hey, offense, here's how you could protect the team more," it's not take a shot. 
on first down and then another shot throw away on second down. Now all of a sudden we're in third and 10 and uh, hold on to the ball. And quite honestly, that was very close to being a safety mm-hmm. too. So that three play sequence, it's usually the last thing in your mind. Cause it's the last three plays you watch when you're sitting in your office, watching the film, it's the freshest thing on your mind. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, you learn from it, you tell the truth Monday, you get better and you move on. How important and how did you learn across your career just how that that those final drives are for quarterbacks? I mean, just as someone in the media and as a fan, I judge quarterbacks almost exclusively on what they do at the ends of close games. It's why I point at win-loss record as being a crucial stat for quarterbacks. But as a quarterback yourself and being in all those spots, how does the game change and how important are those those moments? Yeah, you learn from mistakes mostly. You, you you rarely learn as much from the successes that you have. You learn from things that are, would be considered a teachable moment or a regret. Uh, you know, we were always told, and basically every coaching staff that I ever had, you know, they would come in and the coaching, you know, they would talk to the quarterbacks and they would say, "Hey, listen, you don't you don't make your money from the twenty to the twenty. You make your money on third down and red zone. Like that's where you make your money." And that's how they would talk about it. But, yes, I would agree how you handle those end-of-game situations. Um, you know, that's that's one of the ways that you'll be judged, your head coach will be judged. But but truly, I think the, the one of the, the weird things about watching that game, it felt like Tennessee was playing the brand of football mm-hmm. that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks want to play. We are going to punish you with our runner. We are going to close out games in the fourth quarter. We are going to be the more physical team. We are going to be... You know, I don't want to say the more, the more disciplined team, but but we're going to make you give up the game. And 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 I just thought, you know, like usually when you see Seattle at home, you see the other team shooting themselves in the foot with false start penalties and that kind of stuff. But I think penalties were a huge part of this game as well. Uh, I mean, that that was that was one thing that st- stood out to me, and and that's another reason that they're going to be. Again, tell the truth Monday and and kind of regretting how this game went. Well, they were such a big part of the game, Matt, that, that Pete benched a guy, which we do not see from him very often. I mean, he ends up benching their their linebacker, young linebacker, Jordan Brooks. We talked to him about it on Monday. He said, yep, the bench can be an ally for a head coach <laughs> to try to eliminate some of the penalties. Uh, how many – I mean, have you seen a lot of guys benched over time? doesn't yeah, seem like I it mean, happens listen, that much. Yeah, for sure. But I, I would say that was one of the great things, I would say, that I experienced – when Pete Carroll was my head coach, he would sort of trick the defense. Like he, we'd be in a team meeting and he'd say, and this is what almost every coach I ever was around would say on defense. What kind of defense are we going to be? Are we going to be the hardest hitting, nastiest, most physical defense? What do you say, Lofa Tatupu? And he'd be like, yes, coach. He'd be like, nah, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. I want the football. I want the football back. Marcus Trufant, you know, are we going to be intimidating? Are people going to be afraid to come across the middle when they come to us? Uh, yeah, coach. No, I don't care about that. I want the football. It's all about the football. You go get the ball. I don't care about that. And so when you see these, like, I think it was three unnecessary roughness penalties mm-hmm. and then a taunting penalty, it's just like a lack of – it's like maybe you, this is how it was on your old team, but, like, that's not, that's not Seahawk football. That's not Seahawk defense. We want the ball. Like that, like that we were trying to get the ball back for the offense or even score for the defense. I don't need you to hit a quarterback late in the head. Like that, that doesn't win us a game. That makes you feel good about you and 
you know, I, I don't, you know, the league is, is, is protecting these guys so much and taunting is a point of emphasis. We're all talking about it. And then it's not that hard to go celebrate with your teammates, celebrate with the crowd. The only person you can't celebrate with is like at the player that you just were covering. So I don't think it's, I think it's very coachable and fixable. I think Pete will get it fixed, but it just didn't seem like what I had experienced as a player for Pete Carroll, where the emphasis was so much on just getting the football instead of, you know, hitting a guy laid out of bounds and that kind of stuff. I think the public perception, that's great. And the, the public perception of Pete is that he he's more about the cheering, the supporting, et cetera, and that while well, the rah-rah is on one side of it, that there's not as much of the accountability on the other side of it. What was your experience with Pete and, and his ability to hold folks accountable? Yeah, no, I, I, that was not my experience. I mean, my experience was, I don't care who you are, where you were drafted, how much money you make, how many times you've been a starter or whatever. We're going to, we're going to tell the truth in, in the team meeting, team meeting room in front of each other. We're going to call it like we see it. We're going to say, Hey, you know, you got your butt kicked by this practice squad guy. We're going to, we're going to just say it, you know, Hey, you did the wrong assignment. Hey, uh, guys, we were really disciplined on defense. We gave up a 60 yard run, but why didn't, why did they score a 60 yard touchdown run? Well, it's because somebody was undisciplined and didn't do their job on this one play. And boom, this guy made, made us pay. That's what it's like. I, I think behind closed doors, um, he very much will call you out for your mistakes mm. Uh, but he will also give you the freedom to go play like Junior Seau or Troy Polamalu or one of these guys who just cuts it loose and like, hey, fire a gap. I was feeling it. You saw Earl Thomas do that with Pete for years and years. Hey, I thought it was cover three. What's he doing down, you know, over here making a play? Hey, you know, like fire your gun. Go make a play. Play instinctive. Like that is something great about Pete. But also I, I believe he does a great job of, of holding guys accountable, or at least he did, you know, back when, when we were together. Um, you know, I can't speak to what goes on now, but but I, I certainly experienced that. Uh, I thought he did a great job with that. That whole ability to, to improvise is interesting to me. I, I was uh, hosting a show that Teddy Bruschi was on a few years ago, and he was talking. He felt at the time like the Patriots' defense was not as good as it had been. They were in sort of a, a brief lull for them. Because he felt like the the young guys on the team saw like revered Belichick too much, that by the time they got to the league, Belichick was already like capital B Belichick, as opposed to when he was playing and Willie McGinnis and some of those other guys, they 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 respected Bill, but they were also willing to trust their own instinct rather than saying, "Hey, if Belichick said to do X, I better do X." There's no ability to to differ from that because he's the great genius. It, it does seem like you've got to have some ability to improvise out there yeah well I, i'll just go back to when earl thomas was a rookie uh we drafted earl i think earl played corner in college at texas we made him a free safety and uh and i just remember uh you know usually it's a rookie you kind of pick on a guy in camp right and it was <laughs> that that lasted about a day and you know all of a sudden i remember earl thomas intercepted a pass at practice where it's like well you're not allowed to intercept that you're the middle safety like you're not allowed over here and I remember, like, Pete kind of going towards him quickly. I'm like, oh, Pete's going to correct that. And Pete was like, I love it. I love it. You knew what was coming. You didn't worry about the playbook. You just went and made a play. And I was like, whoa. Now, you can't have a whole team doing that, okay? And you got to have a guy that's going to make more good plays than bad plays. And I, and I see a little bit of that when I see uh, Jamal Adams play now. Like, he goes and makes some tremendous, tremendous plays. But, you know, you got to have team, – it's team defense. So if you void a gap, you better go make the play. 
uh, or you're going to be putting the guy next to you on an island. And I think that, that might have been what happened on one of those long touchdown runs where now you got a corner in space on Derrick Henry. Uh, good luck to you. Like there, there's very few people that make that tackle in space, Derrick Henry. And, and, and those were probably some of the plays. I thought, I thought Seattle played a really nice game on defense, except for giving up those explosive runs and, 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 you know, ultimate, and then obviously the penalties. And so, you know, they, they gave Tennessee a, a chance to get back in the game. They gave them this, this feeling like, Hey, maybe we can come up here and win. Uh, because it felt like that was the time when, mm. you know, they could have just put them away. I know you played with some characters in your career, Matt, but I'm now just imagining you meeting Earl Thomas for the first time, and he has to be amongst the the biggest characters you played with. You know, he was he was much different as a rookie. Really, I would say, yeah. I mean, he came in. It was him and Cam their rookie year. Um, you know, two guys kind of moving. You know, Cam was a bigger guy. Cam developed into, I think, one of the great safeties of all time. But he was he was learning, you know. He was really strong in the run game and stuff like that. But he was kind of learning some of the new schemes that we were doing. And there was a guy named Lawyer Malloy that was there at the time, and I felt like Lawyer had a great uh, influence on those two young guys on how to be uh, instinctive and how to be professionals and how to learn on the fly. Get you know, um, get caught up learning new positions and a new league and stuff like that. But uh, they developed into incredible players. But it it was. Uh, you know, rookie year is tough for everybody, but I would say it was. I had a good experience teammates with those guys. We saw some example not not here in Seattle, Justin. Where was the example we were talking about where the where the quarterback essentially said no? Oh, it was Brady. Well, it was Tom Brady? Yeah, it was Brady, Brady. He, who basically said to Arians, "Like, yeah, we're not running that play." We're, we're do, <laughs> did you see? Have you seen the clip? I did. Of that? I, Byron Byron Leftwich called the play in. Yes. He's like, so the way they call the play in, you know, they're on a wristband system there. So they're like wristband one eighty two. So like, there's like the first page. You open it up. It's Velcro. They got page two, page three, and I've done this. Like the font on there is like Times New Roman sized. Two, you know, you're like looking at it, and he's like wristband 182, and Brady looks down at it, and he's like, okay, we got a smash double. Play. Oh no, no, no! He like looks over like he's a catcher waving off the a pitcher waving off the catcher. He's like, like no, that no, get get that play out of here. And you never see quarterbacks really do that, but uh, he he did that, and uh, I think they've got a great working relationship, obviously. So it's like, oh okay, yeah, yeah, I wasn't really feeling that one. It was just a guess. I was just trying to guess what you were gonna like. <laughs> And they called a play that Brady wanted, and uh, the play worked out perfectly, and then they win the game on, like, the next play. So, Did you ever call uh, off uh, anyone? No, nah, well, listen, you're, I mean, obviously Mike Holmgren. Holmgren? Would, I'm not calling off Mike Holmgren. I'm afraid to do that. So what I would do is I would just, like, you know, tap my helmet, like, what, what? There's, like, nothing. The, the speaker's not working. Like, I heard nothing. And it would act, that, that would actually happen enough of the time where we would get no play. Like, literally, I'd be sitting in there in the huddle. I'm looking at him. He's talking. He's talking to me. I'm hearing nothing. So, you know, one of the things that I had, I had kind of a checklist, a down and distance and a personnel grouping. Okay, guys, if we got three wides in the game and it's second and ten and I don't get a play, what am I calling? Boom. Like, this is what I'm calling. And, uh, and so that was a normal thing already, but – yeah, there were a couple times, maybe maybe just a handful of times where a play would come in and be like, "Oh, come on, no, that that's that's no good." The one you see quarterbacks do the most, though, when they think they've thrown a touchdown pass, I never did this, but when they think they've thrown a touchdown pass and they're hoping that their head coach throws the challenge flag, that's when I see guys like, "Huh, what? No, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you." And it's going to be a delay of game, and now the coach has a choice. Like, shoot. 
I can't waste a timeout. Do I throw the challenge? I can't take a penalty. That that that's the one. It's like these some of these quarterbacks. I think they're getting away with it. It's clear as day what what's going on. I've never thought about that. So they they they're waiting for the challenge to be thrown. It's not coming. They force the coach's hand by getting the clock all the way essentially to zero. So your choice is either call a timeout or or take the delay of game. But rather than exactly. call a timeout, you might as well just throw the flag. Exactly. And what I'm looking at, I'm seeing a quarterback who wants that touchdown for his QBR. Instead, he knows the next play he's going to be handing off a goal line run to somebody right. and some running back's going to yes. get a, you know. So, I mean, unless you're – uh, you know, you got that quarterback on your fantasy team or something. That is very selfish. And, uh, huh. you know, it, but it, it happens. I didn't think you'd come on I'll and talk about it. Ben Roethlisberger that way. But I'm here li- you are. Nah, right? I, I'm not. Now nah, he throws from he throws from everywhere. But I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll take a look if I find one. I'll uh, I'll mark it down and I'll, I'll that's share really funny. I'll call I'll call somebody out for doing that. You uh, you played with Holmgren really basically from the beginning, right? Because he was in Green Bay when you were there. Yeah, so, I mean, he was the head coach when they were coming off of two consecutive Super Bowls. Right. Brett Favre had just come off his third, or sorry, uh, maybe third MVP. So I was there learning from Mike Holmgren. I'm not sure. I think Mike Holmgren knew my name that year, but, like, I'm not 100% sure. I think he knew my last name. I'm not sure he knew my first name. Well, you must have so, learned something. I was thinking about you as I was watching some of these young quarterbacks get thrust into action this week. I was th- What's the kid who's going to play uh, tomorrow night? Um Davis Mills. Davis Mills. I've forgotten his oh, name yeah. every time. I struggle with that. I know. From I have, like, have a mental block against <laughs> I called name. him Davis Love last night. Oh, so I, called him, took a, yeah. I called him Wyatt Mills, who's like a bat, like a, a up-and-down Tacoma shuttle for the Mariners reliever. So, yeah. Anyway, poor young guy gets thrown into it tonight. And I, I don't know. I, how, how much can you learn right off the bat, especially, you know, he's a third-round pick. Um, you were in this spot where you're in Green Bay. You're not expecting to play anytime soon. How active a learner do you have to be? I mean, you got no choice. It's sink or swim, you know, for for that kid tonight, uh, Thursday night. Like it's it's sink or swim. They're going to throw you out there. You have no choice. I fortunately that was not my situation. Uh, I was the fourth string quarterback in Green Bay. The starting quarterback was Brett Favre. Our quarterback coach was Andy Reid, so it was mostly like Andy Reid coaching Brett Favre, and the rest of us got to be in the room. There must have been a Detmer there, right? So I replaced Ty Detmer, okay. but the backup quarterbacks were Doug Peterson, yep. who obviously, you know, we know who that is. Rick Meyer, everyone in Seattle probably knows who that is. And then me. So there was four quarterbacks, and uh, Andy Reid was the quarterback coach, and Mike Holmgren was the head coach. It was, I, I mean, they were paying me to be there. I should have been paying them <laughs> to get to be in the room. It was fascinating. And and not all not all good, you know, like – Brett Favre was MVP, and he was throwing a lot of touchdowns, but he was throwing a lot of interceptions too. And so I got to see Andy Reid and Mike Holmgren sort of coach to the greatness of Brett Favre, yet how do we eliminate turnovers? How do we eliminate uh, sacks? How how do we play complementary football? And I think that's one of the things that uh, is a challenge when you coach a great athlete at quarterback. How do you keep the great stuff and yet not hurt the team? And, and you see some people do a good job with that, and you see some people struggle with that. What were those two guys like together, Reed and Holmgren? Uh, you know, it was really interesting. I was um, I was just telling somebody this yesterday. Mike Holmgren was really hard on me. Like, he would scream at me and tell, you know, like the standard was very high. It was hard. But it helped me seeing how hard he was on Brett Favre. 
Like Brett Favre was all world quarterback and he was just as hard on Brett. But it got to a point where he could no longer yell at Brett. Mm-hmm. Like if he yelled at Brett, hey Brett, if you throw that seam route versus this coverage again, you know, I'll fire you. Right. Well, what's Brett going to do? Well, he's going to throw the seam route <laughs> the very next play because he's a hothead too a little bit. So what would Mike Holmgren do instead? He would now yell at Andy <laughs> Reid, who Brett Favre loved. He'd say, Andy, if he throws that seam route versus this coverage again, I will fire you. You are fired. You are out of work. You do not have a job. And and I would just sit there, watch how Brett would be like, oh, man, that's unfair. Andy's the best. Like, <laughs> Andy's getting yelled at because I'm throwing the seam versus that coverage. All right, all right. I, I'm not going to throw that seam versus that coverage anymore. You know, it was like a, it was a, Mike Holmgren was just, masterful at that kind of He's like a hostage. It's like he took now, Andy Reid hostage in order to make Brett Favre do what he wanted. But I have this image of like those guys going into the coach's room like smiling and like you know you know laughing and giving like you know giving a fist bump to each other like ha ha that was great. Do you think they believed it? You think they bought it? Like yeah I think they bought it. But this whole time I'm like oh no I, I hope Andy doesn't get fired. You know he's got a he's got a large family. He's got a bunch of kids. I that would be terrible. He's a great coach. Don't fire Andy. Come on, Brett, don't do that, you know. I would imagine that when you're in that spot, it, it's tempting to just sort of sit there and, and almost get overwhelmed by some of the smart people around you and the talented people around you. But you, as you said, you're the fourth guy in the room. Nothing's promised to you. I mean, if anything, there's a better chance that most people in that spot will wash out of the league without ever really playing. So how do you how do you, how do you actively engage and say, I've, I've got to overcome being the fourth stringer here? Yeah, so like uh, like I, I'll mention like those meetings were great. I would write down if I had any questions. I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I would just write down questions. And when the meeting was over, we'd be leaving the meeting. We were walking down to the locker room. I would ask Doug Peterson's Doug Peterson all the questions that I would have wanted to ask. Like what? Andy what kind Reed. of things would they be? Like for example, they were like, "All right, guys. Every time they're in a twenty-five front, they're going to bring a strong dog and three fire zones. So if you see the twenty-five front, we got to, you know, we got to go to our blitz check. Got it? Okay, got it. Next. All right. When, when they're in a fifty-seven front, so like, I'd break the meeting. I'd be, "Hey, Doug, what's a twenty-five front? <laughs> like, you know, hey, hey, when you see the twenty-five front, do this. I'm like, well, what, what the heck's a twenty-five? Is it that bad? Is it seriously that bad where you don't even know some of the terminology that they're giving you? You, you, did you ever take foreign language in high school? Uh, like well, I, I took it in college until I opted out and, and claimed that I had a language learning disability. Yeah, so my my junior year in high school, I went, it was in French 3. And in French 3, they don't speak any English. Okay, I was fine in French 1, fine in French 2, French 3, no English. And the teacher gets up there and, <laughs> and saying whatever. I'm like, I, I literally have no idea anything you just said, nothing. And that's what it's like sometimes going into a quarterback meeting room as a rookie when you've got a starting Hall of Fame quarterback that just came off of the Super Bowl and they're going at his pace, not your pace, and you just got to figure it out, find a way. Um, so, But to the, to the thing about like getting washed out of the league, I was the fourth-string quarterback, and, when you're on, and I was on the practice squad. The Chicago Bears actually tried to sign me off of the practice squad to play their last four games for them. Two of those games, to be their starter, two of those games, because of injury, two of those games would have been against the Packers, the, the, you know, the defense I was playing against in practice you know, every week anyway. 
and I was tempted to do it, and I was tempted to go. The salary would have been a big bump. But I decided, you know what, this is such a great organization and a great team and a great coaching staff, and I'm learning so much here, and I'm getting better here, that I chose to stay on the practice squad as the fourth-string quarterback of the Packers instead of going to Chicago to you know, potentially be their starter for the last four games before that coaching staff got fired. And so like, it was those kinds of decisions. Had I been thrown into that Chicago thing, very, very likely I would have played four games and maybe been out of the league very soon. Wow. So I'm very grateful that I was able to stick with Mike Holmgren and, uh, you know, that, that group left kind of Andy Reed went to Philly as head coach. Mike Holmgren went to Seattle as head coach. Um, my, Mike McCarthy became my quarterback coach the next year in green Bay. But, you know, uh, you know, very, very fortunate that eventually I made my way back to Mike Holmgren into Seattle. Uh, I just imagine you who, who just trying to look for counsel in that moment, you're being offered a chance to go start at quarterback in the league. And you got to, I mean, you, you can't make that all by yourself. I'm assuming you're talking to your wife, your family, and, and you come to this conclusion. That's not the right decision. Yeah. I think the big, the, the guy I leaned on the most was Andy Reed. You know, Andy Reed came to me and he was like, Hey, you know, that, he basically was like, you remember you had a pro day at Boston College, right? Uh, you, you, so I had a pro day. I was not invited to the NFL Combine. Okay, I was pre-invited. That's a whole story I'll tell someday. But I ended up not getting invited. And so I had a pro day, and only one team showed up. And one guy showed up, and that was Andy Reid, quarterback coach of the Packers. And so he basically was like, listen, you know, I, I'm going to make sure you succeed here. I'm going to make sure. Like, I'm going to invest in you. I see wow. I see a bright future for you. Now, he was gone in Philly, <laughs> you know, a couple months later. But I, I, I basically trusted him, leaned in on his um, – advice and 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 i'm glad i did no truth to the rumor it was an accident he thought he was just going to visit doug flutie and it turns out you were there he's like oh no there's a pro day here whoops you know the the craziest thing and maybe i've told this story before maybe i haven't i don't know but wait wait, hold on i gotta i gotta stop you because we're we're super late hold on one sec tell the story in a moment we're gonna take a real quick break lots of matt hasselbeck still to come i got a texter here who says wow brock sure is talkative today no that's matt hasselbeck stop it He's uh, telling stories, and he'll do more of it next. It's the Matt Hasselbeck Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Really nice text messages coming in here, 710-710. Matt needs his own show, or even with Salk. I've been in my driveway for 30 minutes just so I can listen to this show. They're a lot like that. None that mention me, just how great Matt is, obviously. Oh, I like this one. If Holmgren made Hasselbeck's career, how did he ruin Brock's? Well, because they're different people. Needed to be coached different ways. All right, we'll get into that another time. <laughs> Matt, you were you were telling me an Andy Reid story of when he went to visit you at BC. Yeah, no indoor facility at, at Boston College. Andy Reid comes to my pro day. Of course, it's a blizzard, two feet of snow outside. What's he say? He goes, all right, you want to go outside and throw in the snow? I'm like, yeah, let's go, coach. He's like, I'm not going out in there. I just needed to know that you'd be willing to go out in there. Okay, good. And that was it. He came to my pro day to work work me out, and I didn't even work out. We talked and drew on a chalkboard, and that was about it. I I used to go to BC football camp in the summer. Did you go to that as a kid when you were in high school? I went one time, yeah. 
that was a that was a trip, man. There were some really interesting human beings on that BC coaching staff. I remember Tom Coughlin was the coach at Boston College at the time, and there was a coach that did something wrong, and he made the coach run laps. <laughs> like you know, how usually you make a player run laps. He yelled at one of his coaches. It's like I forget what the guy did too. I think he had sunglasses on at practice or something. He was oh, like, serious interaction. Run, run a lap. <laughs> it was like, whoa, I'm. I'm Dang, I'm going to listen to everything this guy says. And so you saw that and were like, I want to go play here for this guy? I got tricked, man. My, my dad finished his NFL career with the New York Giants, Bill Parcells and, you know, that team, Lawrence Taylor, mm-hmm. Phil Sims, all those guys. And Tom Coughlin was the wide receivers coach with the Giants. And every time I had been around him, he was just like super, super nice. He was unbelievable in recruiting. I had actually committed to UCLA, and I was going to go there. And Tom Coughlin tricked me and talked me out of it, and I go to – BC and I, I got like the real version of Tom Coughlin, like the <laughs> Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells style coach. Uh, he was not like that in recruiting, and, he, and he's a super super nice guy outside of that. So it's so it funny. Was, uh, so you and Brock both almost ended up at UCLA. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Well, that's where I would have gone if I were a quarterback. Do you? How do? You, how different do you think? I mean, you have the road less traveled with the uh, with the Bears. What if you had taken the path of going to UCLA? Yeah, I never would have met my wife, so uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that. No, but, that's a good uh, answer. There you go. Smart man. Know. There you go. Very smart answer. Hey, um, just kind of looking around the NFC West a little bit. We, we've been talking about some of the quarterbacks that are that are now in this division, what Kyler Murray's starting to do, and uh, Stafford now with a different offense, looks like a different player. H- how good are the group of quarterbacks in this division? Yeah, well, it's the best division in football right now. And no mistake, when you have the best division, you're thinking you're getting good quarterback play. The the best uh, of those guys, I think Matthew Stafford's probably the hottest. Um, you know, A-plus game against Chicago. Everyone saw it. National TV. Took a step back, you know, last week. I thought he had kind of a B game against Indianapolis, turned the ball over, looked like somebody that was still going through the growing pains of learning an offense. But but from what I've seen so far, he's going to have a tremendous year, and that'll probably be the toughest competition, I think, for Seattle in this division. That, that would be my expectation. Yeah, and then, I mean, I was expecting uh, Arizona to not be quite at the same level. A couple of games in, it looks like maybe they've exceeded where we thought they'd be, and Kyler Murray, I heard Stephen A. Smith say he'd take him over Russ, which I think is a bit of a stretch, a little early for that. But, man, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's pretty impressive. He's very, very impressive. And his week one against Tennessee, he was MVP caliber player. He just, uh, he is such a weapon, you know, as a thrower, very natural thrower, great passer, but also with his his legs. I mean, he's probably the only guy you could put up there with Lamar Jackson Mm -hmm. as he's almost like a your best punt returner when he decides to run the ball. I mean, he's, he's just, he's that electric, but it's just so interesting how these like the storylines or the perception around the league is because he plays that game against Minnesota. And we're talking about how incredible he was 81% completion percentage threw for over 400 yards. He's got four total touchdowns. But if the Minnesota kicker mm-hmm. kicks that chip shot, and then they win. Well, then what are we talking about? We're talking about his pick six and his other interception that was ill-advised. And, you know, is he disciplined enough? Does air raid offense really work? Can Cliff Kingsbury keep his keep his job if he finishes third in this division? So, it, I mean, and sometimes that's all it takes. It just you need, like, someone to miss a chip shot yeah. to, to help you out. But he is, he is uh, exceptional. There's a player there named Rondale Moore. 
uh, who was from Purdue, who kind of replacing Larry Fitzgerald. So a lot of people are like, oh, they lost Larry Fitzgerald. Well, this Rondell Moore is unbelievable. If you have time on your hands, you want to go Google uh, incredible workouts. Uh, if, Google his when he was at Purdue. This guy is uh, he's like five foot seven. He squats over five hundred pounds. Vertical jumps ridiculous. So you take the, both those little guys out there doing some serious serious damage. They got AJ Green. They got D, D Hopkins. Um, that that could be a real problem. They, they they are another team that look really good. I think all of the people who were just texting in how much they love the show are now turning it off. And say, I don't want to hear about that. We don't want to see Arizona be as good as you're just describing them. So I don't know. Well, but, that's why it's so disappointing that they gave this game away. Yeah. You know, against an AFC team. That's yes, margin for error, right? Gosh, you had it. Yeah. Like, you had it. Like, you close out games. You're the team that's best in four-minute offense. Uh, and so, which is, you know, how you basically four-minute offense is when you have a lead. You're now playing the clock more than the scoreboard. And uh, they just they, they yeah. gave it away. And that's not even to mention San Fran. You know, San Fran has an amazing team. It almost doesn't matter who they have in their system. They just, they just it's like... Uh, you know, it's like making oatmeal. You just add hot water and stir. Like th- that's that's kind of that offense. And and uh, so this is a tough division. This is a very tough division, and it's going to be be a uh, very competitive year. Well, one of the key plays in that game was the taunting penalty that was called on DJ Reed. It has uh, caused quite the uh, local and also national, not just that play, but just this whole rule has caused quite the debate. I want to ask you about it, and then as we rank things, uh, because it is sort of trying to limit some of the smack talk, obviously in the NFL. The five best smack talkers you were around ranked. We'll do it next with Matt Hasselbeck, the Matt Hasselbeck Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. I've enjoyed doing ranked every day at 945, but I will admit Wednesday ranked a whole lot better. If we're going to rank ranked, Wednesdays are number one. Just going to say the same thing. Yeah, it's good having Matt in to do it. Matt Hasselbeck, uh, wrapping up the Matt Hasselbeck show every Wednesday from 9 to 10 throughout football season here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Matt, we've been talking a lot, unsurprisingly, about the new uh, rule and the new uh, emphasis in the NFL on taunting. First of all, what do you think of the rule? Yeah, probably an unnecessary rule, but the rule is the rule, so uh, just deal with it and not really that hard to uh, to abide by it, but... Unnecessary, but what are you going to do? So who are the top five taunters, smack yeah, talkers, hey. that you were around or played against or with during your time? Right. This is tough, man. This is tough. I was going to put myself on the list, but uh, I did not. I was going to put Warren Sapp on the list, but he's too mean, and he's a very, very mean person uh, on the field. So I'm number five. I'm going with Terrell Suggs, Baltimore Ravens. Uh-huh. And I, and I think I'm putting this here because we played an epic game against them. It was like 45-44. We lost the game. And Rex Ryan coached this guy. And Rex Ryan coached his guy to do things at the bottom of the pile that you shouldn't want to do. So I did not wear a cup like an athletic supporter when I played. And uh, Terrell Suggs, uh, he found out doing some bad stuff. Took advantage of, of that. Yeah, so he's number five. It's a okay? good thing you were wearing cleats or Rex Ryan might have been out there. <laughs> wow. Okay, <laughs> number there. four. Number four. Okay, I'm going with Jake DeLome. 
quarterback really? for the Carolina Panthers. Whoa. And I said to I said to him one time at a Pro Bowl, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're the biggest trash talker I've ever seen in my life. He's like, oh no no no, let me tell you my secret. I only talk trash to guys in the AFC. I'll never talk trash to the guys in the NFC because they vote on the Pro Bowl. You know, players vote for other NFC players in the Pro Bowl. So NFC guys, I'm like, oh hey man, you're a great player. I'm voting for you for the Pro Bowl. AFC, oh I'm talking trash. You know, so that's that was Jake Delhomme. Well, and I'm I impressed. That's the first time Jake Delhomme's name has been mentioned on radio in at least a decade. So good. It's good to hear no, he's hey, still out there. Hey, the underrated, zeitgeist. underrated, and great personality. In an amazing trash talker okay <laughs> number three i had to go with an active guy a current guy okay so you may or may not know this guy number 55 for the buffalo bills jerry hughes okay he was a former first round draft pick defensive end he's actually a very good pass rusher for buffalo but in my career when guys would get fined for hitting me or doing something dirty to me think darnell dockett type guys i always thought well shoot i feel like the quarterback should get some of that money that guy just got fi- fined for hitting me or hurting me like i should get some of that and so jerry hughes is still playing at a high level and here's a guy that certainly got fined for doing things to me so i i, I and you know kind of a trash talker kind of guy i'm putting him on the How, list what percentage right? Do you think you deserve? Like, if a guy got fined fifty thousand, how much should go to the quarterback? Nah, so like Jerry Hughes, I think he got fined like twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Okay. I think I should at least get to like designate what charity that money's going. Now that's to. a good idea. That's a great idea. You know that that's all. You yes. know, just make it. You know, whatever. That was just an idea. All right. But, okay, number two. This is a funny thing in the NFL. Sometimes a guy can be a dirty, mean, trash talk player, but like a really nice guy. Like, it doesn't always happen that way, but this next guy, number two, played against someone who was the San Diego Chargers and also with the New England Patriots, Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison was a trash talker. He just played on the edge all the time of what is, like, legal, not legal. And now I see him on TV, and I have all these mutual friends. Like, oh, no, he's a really great guy, really great guy. So uh, I know it can happen, but Rodney Harrison, man, when I was playing, it was like, wow, watching film, like – this dude like come on like that that mm, dirty dirty well but you know super nice guy you know it's like a different guy with the switch on. right yeah so and if he was my teammate i'd probably love him so Can you imagine the brief amount of time that he and lawyer malloy were together in new england hey i would i would say lawyer malloy another guy like great trash talker wicked nice guy super great teammate and uh but you're glad he's on your team right okay number one do, you, do i get a drum roll or something on this one uh we we don't, next this time. is radio. We don't have that kind of. We don't have that kind of technology. <laughs> it was a joke. I don't need it. This guy doesn't even need a drum roll. John Randall. Okay, so he used to be in Minnesota forever, and then he was with us in Seattle. But when he was in Minnesota, we're playing them. Okay, and what he would do, he would study the media guide of the offensive line. Like the offensive line would go to the PR director and be like, "Hey, can you not put any personal stuff in about my family?" Can you not mention my wife's name, my dog's name? Because he's going to use it against me the whole day in trash talk. And so our offensive line, Robbie Tobek, Steve Hutchinson, Walter Jones, Chris Gray, all those guys, they were like, listen, uh, do not engage him. When we play John Randall, do not engage him. Do not talk back to him. He'll just shut up eventually. So he's going up against Chris Gray, our right guard, all day. And he's like saying all this, saying all that. And then finally, John Randall starts like cursing at him. And uh, and Chris Gray goes, 
hey, man, finally he just cracks. He goes, hey, man, listen, you can talk trash, but, you know, I'm a strong Christian. Please don't curse at me. And John Randall goes, oh, preacher boy, oh, preacher boy. And the rest of the day he was preacher boy. So it just he was he was uh, just really uh, he, he was so creative in it. He was so like next level. He was in everybody's head to the point where we're changing what goes in the media guide. And uh, when he became our teammate, we sort of realized, again, what a nice guy and how on earth were we so intimidated by this guy. But uh, he was a Hall of Fame uh, trash talker. Ray Ray Roberts has told me some of that stuff about John Randall in the past. And when I first met Ray and was talking to him and, you know, asking about Lawrence Taylor, who I still hold up as arguably my favorite player in any sport of all time and how hard it was to go against LT. And he was like, yeah, LT, by the time I faced him, some days he turned it on, some plays he turned it off. And, you know, when he brought it, obviously he was still LT. He's like, but John Randall was ridiculous. Every well, play. I, would, I would say this, like when he became our teammate, we were still intimidated by him. And he would get <laughs> so hyped up in the game. And he had headphones on with like a disc man or a Walkman. He's like listening to music. And I remember one time he went to the bathroom. He's got his face painted and all this stuff. And I'm like, I got to know what he's listening to. Like, I got to know what his hype music is because he's getting me hyped. I'm just like watching him. So he goes to the bathroom. And he leaves his headphones right there in his locker. And I muster up the courage. I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go over there and I'm going to put his headphones on my head and listen to what he's listening to. And I go on and I'm looking around. I go over there. I put them on my head. And what do I hear? If you like pina colada. <laughs> no. I was like, what? <laughs> what on earth? What? Just threw me for a loop. Man. All right. We're going to end on that. Thank you, Matt. Oh, hang we on. Do hang on. Hang on. We got We got to say happy early birthday. Oh, Matt Hasselbeck's birthday is Saturday. Are you turning 70 hey. like Pete? 71. Wow. No one upper. <laughs> Happy birthday this week. Thank you. Very Thank nice. you. All right. I'll be I'll be working Boston College versus Missouri oh, Saturday. My son's one. got his first game Saturday and I'll be headed to New York City to do uh Sunday NFL countdown early early in the morning An on old Sunday. Old school rivalry, Missouri and BC. You can throw out old the school. records when they get together. <laughs> Matt, thank you. Uh, we'll do it again next Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Already looking forward to it. Uh, if you missed any of this, you can go find it online, 710sports.com or wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, etc., just under the Mike Salk Show. Matt, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Always fun. See you. All right, there's Matt Hasselbeck. A lot of fun. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And, yeah, we're going to go round and round with Stacey Joe Rost who's coming up next at 9 o'clock tomorrow. That I can assure you. It's the Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.